We're going. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. And if you click this video, you most likely know who's joining me. Caitlin, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. No, we were talking about off the recording about um, how, you know, we obviously did this way back when, like three years ago, over three years ago now. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was telling you about how I kind of wanted to have another go around at this because, you know, lots changed since then. There's a lot more to talk about. And then I've obviously grown as well. So I kind of just want to start off by asking you kind of um, since the last time we spoke, what's what's life kind of been like? Uh, life's been good. A uh, couple changes, uh, really kind of leveling up in my own career, my own career path. Um, my background is still in technology, and right now I'm in the machine learning and data science uh, space. Um, for the first time in my career, I'm no longer an engineer in my title, which feels a little mm. weird. I'm now into a leadership position, uh, which is great. Um, it's been interesting breaking into strategic leadership and thinking about more of the business side from things and necessarily being hands-on technical. Um, I didn't realize how much of my identity was tied to being an engineer. Uh, so it's been uh, it's been an interesting transition going from engineer into management. Um, outside of that, I got engaged. That's very exciting. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, hoping it sticks this time. Um, so <laughs> second time's a charm. Everyone gets a mulligan. Um, yeah, but no, we have uh, two dogs and an acre of land, and it's uh, life is life is good. Um, I've kind of leaned into community development a little bit more. Um, when uh, when I first like hit the airwaves on on MTV and made my debut, I was really in like an activist sort of mindset. It was more about not not activism. I think advocacy is probably the better word. Um, I was doing a lot of outreach, a lot of advocacy, obviously for the trans community specifically and the LGBT community at large. Um, I was doing a lot of HIV and AIDS prevention, a lot of suicide prevention. Um, so I was doing advocacy in those spaces. Um, but uh, these days I'm kind of focused more on community development, community relations, building those networks, uh, really kind of enabling the the leaders of, of, of today and helping them um, get their platforms out there. Um, so that's kind of where my passions lie these days. Do, do you think that time with public speaking coming off this show helped you or prepared you for what you're doing now with the community stuff? Um, I don't know if it necessarily helped me. Um, like there's a direct correlation, but I think there's a lot of transferable skills. Um, being able to present to a large crowd of people, being able to speak authoritatively, um, certainly within my communication skills. So there were a lot of things that it was kind of preparing me for in tangential ways. Um, honestly, I miss being on stage from the lecture standpoint. Um, I don't know so much that I miss being on camera, like as a, as, as a face, as a personality. Um, but I, I would love to revisit my college lecture series if I ever do anything noteworthy enough uh, <laughs> to, to pique people's interest again. Um, but I, I love being on stage. Um, that, that was really the, um, the most that I got out of my experience of uh, my 15 minutes. Mm. Were there any ambitions for that when you were growing up as far as like, I mean, obviously being on stage is one thing, but then you obviously were on TV on a couple different shows. Did you have ambitions growing up to be either on TV or just recognized for something? Honestly, my ambitions when I was younger was to be published, was to write um, and to put um, something out there. Um, I do kind of 
I write um, fiction and, and thriller genres right now, um, though nothing's been, nothing's been published. All of my published works have actually been nonfiction, have been in the advocacy space um, or been in the social commentary kind of kind of space. Uh, no, I, I had a goal for myself since the time I was a little kid, like I'm going to be published before I'm 30. And that hasn't happened yet. Not 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 from a, a book deal perspective, not through a traditional publishing route. Um, I would still love to see like, uh, a hardcover book with my name on the spine that would be kind of cool um but no my ambitions when i was a kid um truthfully it was around uh family centered i wanted to be a mom and have kids like my mom and my grandmother and and all of the other matriarchs in my family so i was really family oriented in my goals uh when i was younger um and then life like those detours at you um, so you got to learn to, to adapt and, uh, you know, your plans change. Um, it was kind of funny, uh, after I had, I think when we last spoke, I, I, I just bought my house up in, uh, up in the Pacific Northwest. And so I was getting into this phase of my life where, um, I was learning how to be comfortable in my own world and, and on my own. Right. I'm like, okay, my marriage didn't work out. Um, my TV career kind of didn't really ever end up going anywhere outside of my uh, public speaking engagements. I started focusing more on my professional career within uh, corporate engineering and, and my machine learning and data science spaces. Um, so I kind of focused on that. I focused more on building those, those roots in that community space. And I thought like, okay, this is what the trajectory of my life is. Like no husband, no kids, like that'll never happen. What do you do with your life? when your dreams never manifest themselves and you're unable to execute it. And it took a lot of, uh, a lot of pain, a lot of growing. Um, and you know, I tried dating casually, nothing really went anywhere. Uh, my standards rose as I got older. Right. Um, you know, I see a lot of, um, like TikToks or videos that people will talk about dating, like, you know, Oh, um, you know, men are, are competing against other men and, you know, in, in women's lives. And, that's not the case. You're competing against my my solace, my my alone time, right? You have to be better. I have to feel better with you than I do by myself. You have to fuel me and energize me more than I fuel and energize myself. And that's the real competition in kind of the, the dating uh, sphere. Um, and I met someone through completely traditional means, um, through friend of a friend, um, right? My normal gaming group that I that I hang out and I play D and D with. Um, someone that they went to college with and it was just like a completely traditional kind of connection and we just hit it off and he's funny and smart and has a, a background in, in English literature and there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff there where um, it just it just worked out so it was funny I spent all this time trying to force it to happen and the second that I took some time back and really focused on on myself and developing my own ambitions and, and sense of, of value internally um, that it happened for me. So it was, it was really weird journey. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's been good. Wow. Well, would you look at that folks? You don't need dating apps to meet people. These days. <laughs> <laughs> so anybody who, you know, is curious, there is light at the end of the tunnel. That doesn't include How vintage. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you obviously just mentioned, obviously, a uh, love for wanting to, you know, write and publish. Did you? What did you go to school for, potentially? Uh, I didn't. Um, so um, my background is in technology. I built my first computer when I was six years old. 
um, with the, the help of my uncle who uh, worked for NASA as an engineer at the time. And so they just did like a hardware refresh. And so he sent me a bunch of like their old junk that they were getting rid of. Um, and uh, so I spent a couple summers like tearing computers apart and putting them back together and um, making some monstrosities. And, um, you know, by the time I entered middle school, I was already typing at 50, 60 words per minute. I took every computer class that, that they would let me take. Um, and, uh, uh, and then when it came to my high school years, um, I got really lucky. There was a brand new high school that was being built. It was a magnet school. Um, and it was more akin to like a, like a college sort of atmosphere and vibe. There were no bells. There were no lockers. Like you show up to campus and you are in charge of your own schedule. They didn't micromanage us at all. And it was actually on the campus of an already established adult vocational um, facility. So they just built the high school like like adjacent uh, against it. And so we had our first two years, which are all of our general education high school stuff. But then our, our junior and senior year, we got to pick a vocational program and work with the adults on that program. So they had like a nursing school, a photography school, auto mechanic, um, like, a, like a culinary thing. But they also had a lot of computer science um, uh, vocational stuff. So I graduated high school with a couple industry certificates. Um, at the time, I was actually planning to enlist in the military, and then 9-11 happened, and oh. my military plans changed entirely. Um, I was originally going into, uh, my enlistment contract was to be a linguist, um, and I already had my language picked. Um, then 9-11 happened, and then they like completely changed my, my military, my duty assignment, my, my MOS like on me last minute. And I was like, nope, don't, don't agree with this. So my senior year in high school was really rocky because um, I had this vision for myself of going into the military and kind of doing that track. Well, that fell through. All of my friends went away to college, right? Um, I didn't do any college prep because I was going to the, I was going to the Navy. Like I, I didn't need to. Um, and then also as kind of having my own like identity uh, issues in a, in a very traditional authoritarian Italian household. And so I was out on my ass. I was out on my own. So um, I had to make my way in the world. And so I just started working in IT. Pretty much I got a help desk job right out of high school. Um, and then I tried to go back to community college a couple times. But at that point, all the stuff I was doing in class was four years behind what I was doing in the corporate IT world. So it's like, what the hell do I need a degree yeah. for? Um, so I never ended up graduating uh, college. That is on my far out like to-do list. I would love to to graduate um, with a with a hard engineering degree um, at a at a university at some point. Um, maybe in a couple of years when things sort of settle down, I have a little bit more free time. Um, but yeah, I, I broke into the industry just kind of at the right time. And now my resume, I've got twenty years at some of the world's largest companies and. I've got all of these professional references and my technical background's really solid and I've got a good portfolio. So it's like no one even checks to see like if, if you went to school or anything else like that. So I'm, my industry is a little, a little niche though. So it's more about your network connections and are you actually useful behind a keyboard um, than just having your little paper degree. Wow. So it all worked out then like just fine then. That has been my trend that I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think I got many special abilities in this lifetime, but, but luck, I seem to have just a little bit of luck that has 
allowed things to to all kind of shake out for me in the end. Right. So now we now we know your kind of backstory and uh, what your career path ended up being. How then maybe did the television thing come to pass? Like what what was that inception? So um, really funny. Um, I was working at my first like big girl job uh, in South Florida. Um, I was working graveyard shift in the network operations center for a telecom company who I don't think exists anymore. Um, and so my shift was, I would like clock in at like 11 PM and I would work until seven, eight in the morning. Um, and I was just coming off of, of my last, um, shift for the week. And it was like a Friday night I went in. So I'm getting out Saturday morning and my, my best friend calls me up and she's like, I need a ride down to Miami. Now, for those who don't know, I'm in South Florida. I'm in West Palm Beach. And West Palm Beach to Miami is like an hour and a half drive, easy with no traffic. Um, and yeah, that was before Florida got crazy overpopulated. So um, I was like, all right, we're going to Miami. For what? For why am I going? Why am I driving you to Miami at, yeah, at 8 a.m. on a damn Saturday when I should? And I just pulled like a, a 12-hour shift. I should be going home to sleep. Um, and she's like, no, 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 like, like MTV is doing like this, this audition, this tryout thing. Um, and you know, I, I need a ride, like, you know, just, just come on. It'll, it'll be fun. Um, I was like, all right, let's go. And so we hop in the car, uh, I get changed out, out of my work outfit to just kind of whatever. Now I'm 23. I have bright, like hot pink hair. I'm all like industrial, like rocker chicked out, um, and, uh, and so we go and it's in, I think it was like in like Miami's like Galleria mall. And, um, and so we're, we're at the mall and we're waiting in line and I don't even know what the hell we're waiting in line for at this point. Um, and so I hear like these little like tweeny boppers behind me trying to audition and like one girl's like, Oh my God, this is like my life's dream. I'm going to be on the real world. And I was like, this is your life's dream. Like, come on, like you can, you can aspire to be more like you could be a temp at a dentist's office. Like there's, there's more that you could be doing with yeah. your life than being on MTV. And so I was just like, like digging into to these people that were in line behind me. And, um, eventually like a couple of them went off and they had like this casting director that was just sort of observing who always was in line, I think. Um, and, uh, they told me to, um, to leave, um, they're like, like you can't be harassing other people who are auditioning. I'm like, I'm not even auditioning. Like, I don't care about this. And they're like, well, if you're not in line to audition, then get the hell out. Like, what are you doing here? Um, but my friend wanted me to stay because I was her ride and, and everything. I was like, that's my like, guy. Right, fine. To hell with that. I'll fill out your little form. I'll do your little audition, whatever. Um, and then to my surprise, like after like we were in line for like an hour, hour and a half. Um, we get through, they do like this big group interview and I just dominated the table conversation and I get up to leave and someone's like, Hey, can you fill out another packet? Paperwork. All right, fine. I'll fill out more paperwork. Um, so I fill out the packet and like, okay, that's, that's it. We're walking out to the car and my cell phone rings and they're like, Hey, we want you to stick around. Can you do another interview at the hotel here at, you know, whatever. And my friend was pissed. She's like, I should have called Stephanie. No one would have picked Stephanie's ass. Like, I don't know why I, I, I brought you with me. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I did that, that first interview and I'm like, okay, that'll be the end of it. And then I got another call for a phone screen. I'm like, all right, that'll be the end of it. And then another screen and then another screen. And then finally, like three months had gone by 
and I hadn't heard anything. I was like, okay, that's done. Like whatever. Um, and then like uh, FedEx or DHL like dropped a package off on my doorstep. And it was like a weird like matrix moment where as they were delivering the package, my phone was ringing with a number from California saying, Hey, you should have just gotten a delivery. Um, this is like your, your contract. You made it. You're a finalist. We would love to fly you out to California to do like a green screen, like interview. Um, and I was like, Oh, well, I guess this is happening. I guess this is actually happening, uh, now. So, um, it wasn't something that I ever set out to do. It happened by complete happenstance. Uh, I always see two recurring patterns, and it's funny because your story here kind of contains both of them. Whenever somebody tells like their casting process, there's always like two things that I notice. It's either that they're really not taking the process seriously, and they ultimately end up getting picked, and then they're going with their friend, not because like they want to. So it's kind of funny how like both of those two situations kind of coincided in your case. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So um, when going on to this thing, did you have like any ambitions about talking openly about, you know, obviously your um, being transgender or was this something that just kind of organically so happened? I, I pretty much knew that that's why I was getting cast. Um, and like, if, if you think about it, like my casting took place in 2007, um, late 2007, I think early 2008, maybe. Um, and, uh, at this stage of my life, I was actually just preparing to leave the country to go see my doctor, to have, um, my, uh, my gender reassignment surgery. Um, and, um, and so I was kind of focused on that. Um, that was the culmination of, of one of my first early life goals, right? Like the fact that um, MTV was happening at the same time was really just kind of something else. Um, so I, when I was going into the show, um, my surgery was in June in Thailand and we were originally slated to, to film the first week of July. And I was like, um, if you're filming in July, it, it will it will be without me because I'm going to be like out of country. And MTV originally was like, can we film it? And I was like, well, are you paying for it? No? Okay, well then, fuck off. You can't film it. <laughs> so, uh, right? Like, if you want to pay for it, maybe let's, 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 let's talk. But, you know, otherwise, like, you know, this is something like really private, and really personal. Um, and I was really protective about that. Um, so they pushed uh, filming back. Um, we ultimately ended up filming in mid-August. So when I was on the show, I was literally just fresh back in country from from doing, uh, five, I think, five weeks in Thailand. Um, and so I was still physically recovering. Um, and it's something that when I reflect upon my experiences now in my early 20s, I really wish I had been more present when I was doing the real world. Um, because I think there's a lot of of things that young me could have done better. Um, like things like perspectives that I had at the time that I think could have shown through a little bit more, but I was so wrapped up in this major life event, right? The fact that cameras were around me 24 seven, I was hot, my 24 seven didn't really come into play much at all. So I didn't go in there with like an agenda, like these are the things I want to talk about. These are the things that I want to discuss. Um, and I know some of the producers probably wish that I had been more open and forthright about the fact that I was trans and to really talk up those points. Um, but for me, it was, I was just kind of in this almost haze, right? Of like, oh my God, like I can wear clothes that just fit 
for the first time in my life, in my entire life. Like, you know, it's something that we all kind of take for granted. Like, you know, you put your pants on, you take your pants off. But like, there's, you know, for me, like that was completely a new novel experience, navigating in the world in a way where I was perceived differently, even within the dynamics within the house, right? The the blatant sexism from a lot of, of my male castmates shown through. And it was like, man, like not six months ago, I was a card carrying member of your association. And now you're treating me differently, you know, like, like just, just completely. Um, so there was a lot that I was really kind of gripping with. Um, and I navigated that through kind of leading in, leaning into my own sort of journey of, of self discovery in a lot of ways. Um, and into my advocacy with the LGBT center of, of New York. Um, I think I did some good work. I, I feel like I could, the, I could have done more obviously during, during my volunteer there, but for me, it does almost like a pilgrimage, right? Because I was volunteering in the halls where ACT UP was formed, right? When you, if you think about the um, history of the LGBT civil rights movement, what happened in the, in the early to mid eighties um, with, uh, with the HIV and AIDS crisis going through into the early nineties, um, you know, it really took a lot of dedicated, passionate queer people to speak up for their community. Like, hey, we're dying and we're dying by the thousands and our government is doing nothing. They're complicit in this. They're washing it away because it doesn't affect straight people until, oops, it's in the blood transfusions. Now it's affecting everybody. Now straight people are dying from it. Now people who do intravenous drugs are dying from it. Like it's no longer self-contained to just people who, who are queer to the disposable margins of the community. And it took a lot of passionate gay men and honestly, lesbians uh, were the were the forefront of the HIV and AIDS advocacy movement. Um, it was the lesbians who were the only ones who would come and, you know, give care and, and, and render aid to a lot of gay men that were dying in the hospitals. So um, lesbians are, are kind of the unsung heroes of the of, of the ACT UP and the, um, of the history of, of, of HIV um, advocacy and changing the, the narrative of that. Um, they were just as impacted as, as gay men were. Um, but I think when we look back on our history, we think of like, oh, AIDS, like that, that was a horrible thing that happened to the gay male community and it, it didn't just impact them. Um, so sorry not to get off on like a no, no, history, no, no history tangent, but like I, I was remembering my time in, in New York in those halls. And for me, that was like a pilgrimage um, uh, a little bit. So to be in, in those halls where that great thing happened, it was very inspirational to me. Um, and I kind of took that, and after my show, I I used that to kind of help push me through my public speaking, my public my public lecture series, mm -hmm. and that work that work has been really good. I'll still get messages today. People will DM me like, "Hey, you probably don't remember me, but you spoke at Townsend University, and that had a really big impact on my life." Or you know, it's 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 cool to get those messages. That's awesome. You get do you um was was that very prevalent like in the years that followed the show? like getting messages from uh, people online sort of about either from watching them on TV or watching you on TV rather, or from meeting you at um, events. Yeah, it was. Um, and that was, was really uh, what, what kept me doing uh, and, and being in the public eye. Um, it was, it was that feedback that really fueled me. Um, Cause a lot of times, um, you know, you don't realize it, but when you're in the public sphere um, everyone will 
we kind of, everyone experiences that now a little bit more because of how chronically online the world is, uh, right? You know, um, I think I think people have a better vision, version of themselves online than in, in real life. Um, we interact more online, so this is more prevalent, but in the mid to, to late aughts and the early 20 teens, um, the online community like was vicious to people that were predominant in, in other sort of um, media circles, um, right? So if your face was on TV at all, or if you were um, like whether on, on television shows or, or on the radio, if you were a musician, if you were a celebrity to any caliber, the online community was not very friendly to you, uh, especially if you were a marginalized person within, you know, within the public sphere. Um, and so it was really hard to try to do good work when internally I wasn't in a good place, right? Like my relationship with my ex-husband wasn't very healthy. Um, I wasn't really solidified in a career at all. I was moving around the country. I was living in different places. I didn't have a community or support system of my own. Uh, and here I was getting on stage and giving more of myself, but also trying to tell people too, like, hey, it gets better. And it gets better and it gets better. But me personally, I felt like shit. I felt worse, but I had to put on a smile. It gets better, right? Because if you go on stage and be like, everything sucks, it's depressing. Like your nihilism will bring the mood down and you won't get booked again. And no one wants to hear that. Life is hard enough. They, they, they're they going to take 45 minutes out of their day to see you to make them feel better. Apologies, my kids are fighting. No worries. But, you know, people people will come to your shows so, you know, to to feel better about themselves or get an inspiring message. And if you're all doom and gloom, it doesn't it doesn't help the causes that you're trying to advocate for. So for me, it was incredibly taxing, um, you know, to try to be positive on stage while feeling really awful on the inside. Um, and so getting those messages from people every now and again, be like, hey, you probably don't remember me, but you know, you really helped me through a bad time or I am who I am today because I saw you and that gave me confidence. Like those messages feel like I, I lived for them. Um, and it kind of triggered something in my head. Like, look, like if nothing else in this world, if I make someone else's life easier or better, or if they have a better sense of self because I existed, then everything I went through was worth it. It's okay. Um, and I was able to kind of focus on external people um, in order to kind of get me through. Um, my therapist says this because I'm pathologically compassionate, but um, you know that's a that's a different story for a different podcast. Right. <laughs> what about the reception online in a like a negative way from people? Because I know like I always speak to cast members just from any walk of life, where the show and like the reception from some people might be so negative to the point where like they almost the show almost becomes traumatizing for them to think back on it that's like how negative there might have been for them in terms of like reception online because i know like um i don't know what the social media looked like back then i know like myspace was a thing for you guys i still believe at the time was there ever a point in which, like, any backlash was negative to the point where it weighed on you um, mentally or emotionally? Oh, yeah. Uh, like, the um, there were people, there was a coworker that I had at my job before I was cast um, who would say, like, they, they were posting, like, the most hateful things, like, 
uh, like about me, like, oh yeah, I remember seeing that thing when they were walking through the halls and da da da, like just like nasty, like vitriolic mm-hmm. stuff. Um, people that knew me from when I was in middle school posting just awful things, and it's like uh, people like dead naming me. Um, you know, uh, and then not only that, but there were all of the other like commentaries. Um, I almost, I got it from two different aspects. One, um, I got it from people that were very misogynistic and sexist. So I got all the typical stuff that, that most women experience, right? Be like, you're not pretty enough. You're not good looking enough. Like you don't give me a boner at the time that I want it. So, you know, therefore you have no value or that is your only value. Right. Um, or, why do you have thoughts? Why are you loud? Why do you have opinions on things? Um, but then also, um, you know, turf uh, as as an online community was just starting to get going too. So there was a lot of people that were hating on me for the fact that I was just, you know, trans and, and open uh, about it. Um, and then in, in addition to, I guess, my personality was just abrasive to them. So it was just, just so many different factors that... Um, the, the production company, like, warns you when you get off, like, hey, the best advice we can give someone coming off the show is don't look yourself up online. Um, but I was 23, and I knew everything. So it's like, eat shit. I know, I know how to navigate this better than you professionals. Um, and uh, at that point, I was just a masochist. Like, I was already feeling bad if I, you know, I was, I was looking for the little hits of dopamine online, trying to sort through all of the negative feedback. I was looking for like just some like, in, in in a thread, right? It's like like oh, like you know, user Greg six six four nine thought that I was cute on last night's episode. Cool, I can feel better now. I can get like that little hit. Um, and for me, it wasn't like an like an ego thing at all. It was just looking for some kind of, of validation to cut through all of the the negativity. Um, but I never let it color my experience on the show. Um, what did color it was hearing feedback from former cast members. I remember after my show, I had a couple people, um, I think from Real World Denver and Real World Austin come out to sort of like speak with us a little bit about what your life is going to be like or, or try to how to navigate it. Um, and they had such colored opinions of their experience that it at the moment affected how I spoke about my own. Um, and that is something that if I could go back in a time machine and fix, I, I would do. Um, I wish I was a little bit more savvy about my media experiences, getting interview questions from, from people. I didn't know how to field them. I didn't, I didn't know that everyone that was writing a story that involved me wasn't, you know, out to do it in the most, um, really, really professional light. Um, I would see articles published that said that I said something that I had never said, and it caused a rift between me and some of, of my castmates. Um, and I would get called, be like, why did you say that to that reporter? I'm like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I had a five minute conversation with them and that was never spoken about. Um, so I don't know where they got that quote from. Um, so there was a lot of moving parts, um, that at the time uh, I especially, but I think people in general just weren't as savvy. Uh, about how to navigate those um, those things. Like you mean um, the way you answer the questions is what you mean? Uh, the way that, that I answered uh, the questions, uh, I, uh, up to that point, had always treated my life like an open book, um, good or bad. So mm. I was always very forthright. I held nothing back. I didn't edit anything. 
what I what I said, there was no like, okay, like I'm going to try to speak about these things. It was just like you call me up on a random Tuesday night and it's like, all right, Caitlin, what do you want to talk about? And it's just boom, like just core dumped everything out of my face. Um, and not realizing how someone might take like little sound bites of that and string them together and or to try to like like build like a narrative. Um so yeah, that there was there was a lot of that coming off of the show. Um, and, and in the, the subsequent years, I think, um, everything kind of died down about three years after my last, uh, TV appearance. After that, everyone kind of forgot about me and I could get my life back to normal again a little bit. D- did you want to make a conscious effort to distance yourself from that or were you just kind of organically letting it, it, it- it kind of happened organically. Um, you know, uh, I saw, and I think this came from being on the challenges uh, specifically. I saw that there were really two dominant personality types. There were people that were either, I was a normal person, I had this really cool experience, and now I'm going to go back to being a normal person. Or there were people that were like, oh, this is now the only thing that I can focus on. Um, the fame was a drug and they are just absolutely addicts. Um, right. So I think of people who are still on the challenge now and they're like, you know, in their early to, to mid forties. Right. And it's like, okay, cool. This is all that you've ever known. This is all that you've ever done. Someone told you that you were cool and hot and relevant when you were 18 and they've continued to put you in front of a camera because you do well on the ratings. And so you have this warped perception of what life is like um i saw that when we were um i was filming a reunion show and a bunch of us like afterwards you know you you do the filming you go to the the green room everything's cool then you go out to like like drink or whatever and i think we were in um like a bar in la or something and um the waitress was really nice we were seated in our own private section right we were away from everyone but then afterwards someone came up um to this cast member and she was like, hey, like, would it be cool if I just get, like, like an autograph? I loved you on TV. I love, I love watching you. And one, they treated her like shit. And so I immediately lost all respect for them as a person. Um, but then two, like, the way that they just, like, kind of, like, puffed their chest. Like, oh, yeah, of course you would want my autograph. Like, you are, like, the, like, that dude is, like, the medium stake of men. He is neither rare nor well done. Like, it was just, he was a mid-dude. He was a mid-dude in cargo shorts and a backwards hat. And no, no offense, no offense. I, I, I see the backwards hat. But, like, no, but yeah, but he's just, like, yeah. just some bro that got in front of a camera and thought that he was God's gift to the, wor- to the world. And it's like, no, I did not want to be like that at all. I wanted very much to be a normal person, normal-ish uh, for myself. Um, normal person, had a cool experience. I'm going to go back to being a normal person and maybe, maybe try to do a little bit of good in the world um, on my way out. Um, but uh, yeah, I had no desire to constantly chase the lights and to be relevant in front of the camera at all. Right. Yeah. I mean, since we're on this entire topic, I think I'd be remiss to not ask. You had a recent uh, tweet uh, directed towards uh, Johnny Bananas, um, sort of about something similar. What, what maybe uh, prompted you to want to, make that tweet because i looked at your twitter after that and i was like you weren't really super active so i was like i wonder like oh. later you know come so, out of, uh, <laughs> come so out of that that's that's really funny so um i actually uh uninstalled uh twitter after um uh, a couple months after elon musk took over the the platform i was never really active on on twitter anyway 
Um, I ramble on too much um, to be limited to 120 characters or whatever the hell it was at the time. And so for me, like Twitter as a platform, it was really hard for me to stay focused and engaged. And it never, I never understood how the algorithm functioned in terms of how some of my content got out there, got views versus like what I interacted with. Um, it was hard to cut through the signal to noise ratio. Um, so their, their feed algorithm was never like, like really good. So I had gotten rid of Twitter a while ago. Um, but, uh, one of my friends was like sending me some tweets or whatever. And I just like had refreshed the, I had re-downloaded the app, logged back in to refresh my feed. Um, and it, it just featured that one tweet from Johnny Bananas and like, it just happened. He, he got the right bitch on the wrong day. And he just like, like, you know, like, like, like his tweet, it was just the way that he just so like sarcastically is like, oh, I don't have to be a person. I'll just continue to get paid to fly out to cool locations. It's like, dude, like, like not for nothing. You're there. He, Johnny Bananas is, is on the challenges because I am fully convinced he has no other like means of, of supporting himself. If, if the challenges ever went away and he had to, like, God forbid, get a job. I don't think that he could survive as an adult at his age, right? Because he is still, all of my interactions with him, he is still very much so uh, mentally from a maturity level, still like a 24, 25 year old guy, mm. um, right? Like, you know, I, I feel like at any minute he's going to try to convince me that NFTs are viable. Um, and like, that's kind of <laughs> like, right? Like, 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 like that, that's kind of fun. But also the way that, he structured it really upset me from just like a, a social commentary aspect. Um, so something that uh, a lot of people don't understand is that the original, like think post real world Nevada, uh, um, right. Vegas. That was uh, a lot Las Vegas. Yeah. The, yeah. the Vegas crew, the Vegas crew was kind of like at the height of when real world really started to skyrocket in popularity. So it was basically from Vegas through to about real world Sydney uh, Australia. Those cast members, their contracts are insane. For the first challenge that they do, like ever, they get something ridiculous like $3,000 just for showing up, like, hi, hello. Um, and then for every challenge they do after that point, they get an additional added cumulative sum on top of it for each week that they're there with a, an, a however many week minimum. So I think when I was doing Fresh Me Too, those guys were getting $3,000 just to step off the plane and film the title sequence and say hello. They were getting that same amount every week with a guaranteed five-week minimum. Um, and then when I was on, I think this was in Costa Rica, so it was it was Rivals. When I was yeah. on Rivals, there was someone there who was like, hey, like he signed up just to do it. And he was like, okay, now I need you guys to, to vote me off because I have to get back to my job. He showed up just because he knew he got a guaranteed five weeks to bend um, for, for being there. Um, and so those contracts um, that they got were really sweetheart deals, okay? And to put that into comparison, um, the season after mine was Mexico, Cancun, real world Cancun, mm -hmm. right? So those people that were coming onto those shows, do you know how much they got paid? $250 a week. Wow. So when you have someone like Johnny Bananas, who's getting $3,000 a week, a guaranteed six-week minimum, win, lose, or draw, doesn't matter. Never mind the fact that he, that when those casting calls go out, the phone trees start. They all start calling each other. Hey, did you get the casting call? Okay, cool. I'm going to sign up. So 
before anyone else gets on there, they already have their alliances planned out. They already have everything pre-decided. It doesn't matter. It's not a fair game. It's not like you go in there and you can like big brother social engineer your way. No, 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 no. Everything is already planned out. And if you're a new guy, you're on the bottom of the totem pole. Fuck you. What you do does not matter unless you happen to be like, you know, a, a SEAL team buds candidate and you can do all of the crazy obstacle course stuff, right? So that you get, you know, uh, immunity from elimination. But if that's not you, you're fucked. Yeah. And so for him to get on Twitter and say, I get to do all this stuff. It's like, yeah, congratulations. You're one of the one percenters of the real world challenge crew that gets that sweetheart contract guaranteed no matter what. And because you're such an asshole and because for whatever reason that plays well on camera, you're going to continue to get booked. Congratulations. It's not because he has all these choices. It's not like he's like, oh yeah, I could be the CTO of a company tomorrow, but I choose not to. No. He's just some dude that was told he was sexy when he was 18 and has never grown beyond that. And he got a sweetheart contract to make sure that he can keep, continue to keep doing that. But, you know, I he's he's in my age group. I, I know. I have to take ibuprofen every night. Okay? So I know for a fact Johnny Bananas is going to reach a point where, yeah, I can't be swinging from these platforms you know, for too much longer. Like, yeah, I'm, I, my knee is not gonna, is not gonna hold up. You know, maybe I can't do those two mile hikes, you know, in, in, in uphill. Um, and then what are you gonna do, Johnny? Go off of your personality? Shit. Right? <laughs> like, like, you know? So, and not for nothing, the money, no matter what he does, like, respectfully, I paid more in taxes last year than what he made on the challenges. So the money is not even good comparatively. So, like, you know, what he makes, I pay off in taxes. So do the math. What, what was, like, the Brooklyn cast? If, I mean, I don't know if you can share or not, but, like, what was, like, uh, the Brooklyn cast lump sum looking like in terms of appearing? So... Uh, to do challenges, I think we got, I think we got like 1500, I think it was 1500 for your first appearance. Just, just, just to say hello. Um, and then, um, and then I, I think it was 1500 per week. Um, right. Cause if you stay longer, you keep getting paid or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so every, every week they use survive elimination up until the end. Um, and then in addition to any, like, Cash, cash awards, cash prizes, whatever, whatever. Um, but people don't don't realize that you know your payment structure, your tax structure for those that, that are U.S. based, um, your tax structure um, that's taxed at forty percent. Like like that that uh, that um, career for whatever reason is taxed differently than any other kind of income because you're a contractor income. So um, not only are you ten ninety nine, but I think because of the kind of pay it is, um, it's considered compensation which falls underneath the lottery earnings so the lottery earnings is taxed at 40 percent so your tax bracket's higher too so not only are you getting paid less than you would less than minimum wage they don't provide you with any health insurance so if you fall like i did in fresh me too they didn't pay for that i paid for that that was my insurance that that had to cover that so thankfully i was working at the time and i had insurance but if i didn't forget about it so um you know, and they, the production company, Bunamary Productions, um, I know they, their deals with, with Viacom were like somewhere in the 
60, $70 million that they got paid plus an additional per episode. I think they got like 13 million per episode. You think the cast saw any of that? No, I don't get residuals. Absolutely not. Like, so, you know, like, I like, well, I, I can tell when we get syndicated in a new country because I'll get like friend requests or messages from, from that country being like, Hey, saw you on TV. Like, you know, thought that I would look you up and say hello. Um, so I know that my series still gets syndicated out in the world. I don't, I don't see anything from that. Um, so for, for us, for our, our season, the, um, that wasn't very, uh, the payment wasn't really all that worthwhile. Mm-hmm. That's gotta be weird too. Like, like you just said, because of streaming people watch these through like, let's just say like a 2010 lens and then like message someone in the year 2023, like, why did you do this? <laughs> it's like, like they did it five minutes ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned obviously, you know, the, the fall and fresh meat too. That was like such a, um, like, obviously it was painful in uh, your case, but like, that's such like a moment though, that like people look at on that season is kind of like one of those like highlight moments for better sure, or for sure. worse. Yeah. Um, what, what was the, um, health ramifications that came from that? Like, did you sustain any like you know, potential ligament damage or anything? No. So, um, I mean, that knee was already kind of bad. Um, so my athletic, I, I, I caution to even call it that. Um, but no, um, I, my background is primarily in martial arts with a little bit of gymnastics. Um, so, um, like I have my black belt in Taekwondo, but I've also studied in, um, like five or six other different styles of martial arts. Um, never really got into, into MMA, uh, at all, but, um, but I did, I did train pretty heavily and, and very seriously in a couple of different martial arts. So my right knee was already kind of bad. Um, but, uh, I have had, I've kind of struggled with since my early twenties, um, really bad, uh, chronic skeletal muscular pain. So I'll just get like uh, random inflammation that'll happen. Um, I've got really bad neuropathy down one of my, uh, down the one side of my body. Um, and that was kind of off and on when I was like in my uh, early to mid twenties. Um, so I didn't sustain any long-term injuries from anything that happened to be on, on the challenge, but I also had other health stuff that was kind of in the background that contributed, um, partially to, to kind of my inability to, um, to really excel in that environment. Um, plus also the director, like, uh, he really liked to do like these extreme, like, challenges and things like that um i remember in costa rica when we were filming um we would climb up on top of the scaffolding to get onto these um these platforms that were suspended by a crane over over the water um and this is like the the setup height it was like maybe five or ten feet above the water which was you know already cool you want me to do the thing i fall into the water whatever but after we all got staged up on those platforms the director would be like all right now raise it another 15 feet Okay, now raise it another 10 feet. And now all of a sudden, I'm 30 feet above water. Like, hey, not for now. Like, if I fall, it's not just like, okay, like you lose the game. No, now I'm injuring myself. Like, right. for what? For, for why? For, for no reason other than it creates like this enhanced perception of trauma. But also, again, I'm an engineer. So I think of this. I'm like, okay, well, I'm falling at this rate. Okay, the surface tension of the water is going to be this. It's going to feel like I'm falling on top of concrete. It's no longer a soft cushion blow anymore. Um, or like when we were in, in Fresh Meat, uh, filming Fresh Meat, we were in uh, Saskatchewan, Canada. We were in Whistler. We were filming at the end of September, early October. 
Well, evidently, the plan for all the challenges that they had tested and done, done that for that year, the plan was to film in Australia to do a, a warm climate. So they already got all their sponsorships. They already had everything things set up. So all of the gear that they had was for warm water challenges. But our filming location changed, and they're like, ah, water's water. Well, no, the water temperature in Saskatchewan in October, fucking cold, dude. Like, yeah. that's, that's not just, it's not just cold, it's hypothermic. So why am I in hypothermia waters using a warm wetsuit that's meant for, like, you know, uh, several degrees warmer water, mm -hmm. and that's meant to be in, in a tropical location? Like, it's just the the disrespect and disregard for, for cast member safety at, like never mind comfort fuck comfort safety right um it was it was atrocious um so i have been very vocal about those things and as a result i don't think i've i'm ever getting an invite back um so <laughs> never yeah. mind the fact i'm also not athletic so to, to begin with right uh mm -hmm. so uh, if, if you want to do if you want me to participate american gladiator style Give me a nice little bow staff Q-tip that we can hit each other with. Okay, maybe I'll be able to, you know, to, to go one-on-one. -on -one. But the rest of that stuff, nah, not for me. Yeah, I heard it was, um, they got, like, a new producer, like, right, like, I think, like, right kind of around the time that you started coming into those challenges. And he was, like, a former Marine or something like that. So that's, like, the f something along those, just uh, I, I, I think. I think he definitely wanted to be a former Marine. Like, I think that that was kind of my, he did not like, look, I've, I've worked, um, I, I've worked alongside service members. I've done advocacy for the IAVA. Um, and like, so I've, I've worked with people who are former military and then there's like those dudes that are wannabe military. Uh, and he struck me very much so of like, Oh yeah, I, I could have been a SEAL. Uh, but you know, then I, then my, blew up my, my meniscus and, you know, I never really made it, but like he did, he did not, I don't, I don't know his qualifications. I'm not calling him out, but he seemed like the paramilitary adjacent fanboy type more so than an actual service member because service members have a level of care and understanding and camaraderie for camaraderie for each other that that asshole never demonstrated. He did not care about safety. Exhibit A, bringing us up higher, right? Like not having a medical team on standby, like just basic SOP stuff, right? You take care of like, if we are, you know, his, his troops and in, in that, in this kind of analogy, he never cared for us. And a Marine mm. would never, right? That is not their, their MO. So, um, I don't know his qualifications. Maybe he is. Uh, and if he is, He's an asshole. Actually, regardless, he's an asshole. Um, but I was I was not a fan of, of his of his style whatsoever. Yeah, and I know like they um, they had you on crutches obviously after that fall on Fresh Meat too. And then I mean I don't know if they, they were actually gonna send you guys in to do the exile or not, or if they were no. just showing that for TV. On TV, they said that you guys were disqualified because your partner Brandon had drank a beer before the elimination, so he wasn't cleared. Were they just, do you think that they were even gonna um, clear you guys to do that with your injury anyway? Or do you think like they were just I saving? Think, so uh, so I, I, I think they used that as an excuse. Um, I, I can tell you that, uh, especially having my understanding now working in a corporate environment, um, 
I can tell you they probably just had a quick phone call with their legal department and they realized that their liability exposure was too much. So they're, they weren't going to let me um, compete. So their, their legal liability, if I got further injured after they already knew that I was injured and after I'd already received medical care, if they forced me to compete, um, that, that probably would have lied in their legal liability and exposure. Um, and at the time they already had some stuff bubbling up in the background from former castmates. And so they're just like, no, like, let's call it. Um, I don't remember him drinking, uh, to be completely honest with you. It would not surprise me. Um, but, uh, but not, not that it wouldn't surprise me that, that he was drinking, but just kind of like, he he felt so defeated, right? From just like a, I know he he really wanted to to kind of go the distance, um, in in that. Um. How, how did how did you uh, feel received by like? I know you you dealt with some like sort of sexism like on your real world season, but how was maybe the fellow challengers to you in terms of receiving you? Did did you feel welcomed, or were were there some people that shut you out? So uh, definitely, for my experience, the way that that I think of it is, it felt less of like a sexist thing, kind of like what I experienced in the in the Brooklyn house, and it felt just more high school clickish, right? It felt more like okay, like you've got. Kenny and the cool kids and then you've got like you know Wes's camp of just sort of like the also other just cool jock kids um so it's basically like like jock squad a jock squad b um and if you weren't part of one of those two cliques then like you just weren't gonna fit in um and I um I I am an acquired taste I, I I cultivate like a really kind of cool eclectic sort of of social circles um, you, you either love me or you hate me. There's, there's no one that's ever felt ambivalent about me a day in my life. They're either like, oh my God, yeah, Caitlin's awesome. Or like, fuck Caitlin. I cannot stand the sound of her voice. I don't want to see her next to me. Um, and so you kind of, you fall into one of those two camps. Uh, and, um, the, not all, but, but the majority of, of the cast members from, uh, from the challenges kind of fell into the latter camp. Um. So, um, and that, but that's fine. Like I, I have, uh, expertise from that, you know, being an awkward queer kid growing up in the South and having to go to, to high school and navigate those circles. So for me, it was just like, Oh, I'm doing this again. Fantastic. Um, so it was just kind of like more like a revisitation of, of high school than anything else. Mm-hmm. What, what about the relationship going into rivals with you and Sarah was, was that rivalry like played up by them? Or, like, were you guys legitimately on, like, rocky terms heading into that? Um, I was actually surprised that, um, and I think I made this comment when we were filming, uh, when when they showed all of the people, when all the cast members uh, were meeting each other. Um, I thought that Laurel was going to have, like, nine people that she was paired with. Um, <laughs> and, and, I, and I really thought that Laurel was going to be... Um, my rival, not Sarah, um, because of the fact that she and I just butted heads instantly. Um, not only are we like polar opposites in, ter- in terms of personality, but I didn't know this, but Laurel was a finalist for Brooklyn and she didn't get it. Oh yes, that's right. So, uh, and so from the second that she and I like, you know, first met each other and, and fresh meet, she like, she like came at me. She's like, 
you should have never been on Brooklyn. It should have been me, da, 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 whatever. And so she's like, like kind of like came at me like that. Um, and um, so for me, I thought that my rival was going to be, was going to be her and, uh, and not Sarah. Um, Sarah and I have had kind of a complicated um, interpersonal relationship, right? Um, we were super close on, on Brooklyn. Um, it, it was actually a little sad to see when I got to the challenges, how much like, Kenny's influence, Kenny and Johnny, like that camp specifically, like uh, I influenced her. Um, and, uh, so like her personality was a little bit, bit different. Um, so our relationship was naturally a little strained. Um, one, cause I cannot fucking stand Johnny and Kenny like to, to begin with. Um, so the fact that she was already kind of in that camp kind of had like that, that tension there. Um, but then, uh, I think something happened in Fresh Meat where I knew that they were going to to vote me in, and so I was like, "Oh, oh, it's like that. Okay, cool. Uh, bet." So now, now I have to be petty. Now I have to be Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Like, you want to vote me in? Cool. Let's see if I can vote you in instead, Sarah. Um, and so I don't, um, you know, I I match energy, and so that was the energy I was getting. So that was the energy I was gonna give. Um, and then um, going into Rivals, um, it uh, it didn't feel strained but then I feel like coming out of rivals there were a couple times where I distinctly remember like okay I know that we can't do this kind of challenge do you want to just like throw the challenge I would have these conversations with her communicate like what's our strategy how are we going to go ahead and do that and so I would communicate something to her she would agree to it and then you know we would like throw like a challenge or whatever and then she would complain about it like you were in on the plan. Like, it wasn't like, you know, like, I just decided, like, we had talked about this, bitch. Like, you know, so I don't know why you're talking out of the side of your neck right now, but uh, but whatever. Um, you know, I haven't really spoken to her since. I know that she had kind of a falling out with uh, with the, the challenge crowd. I am, I think it was actually Johnny Bananas that ended up, like, double-crossing her or something, yeah. doing her dirty. Um, and so I know that she, I don't think that she's been back. Um I, I spoke with her like through text message a couple months ago. Um, just kind of like a little quick, like, Hey, like whatever. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that relationship has definitely been strained. Um, I'm a lot closer with, um, believe it or not, Chet and Ryan, like, uh, oh. now that, now that we're adults, like in the house, like we were kind of a little antagonistic towards each other, but, um, but, uh, Ryan is is has grown into a really solid dude, um, and Chet as well. He and I see a little bit more eye to eye these days. Um, so yeah, it's been cool. Um, I've watched, you know, I've watched Devin just sort of like Devin belongs where we're. Oh, where she's she's at. killing it. Yeah, yeah, she she's absolutely crushing it. Um, I could not be happier for her. Um, and, uh, and Bea has, has found her way in the world and I'm so happy to see everything that she's been up to. And it's, it's been fantastic. Uh, Scott has been on the same rails that he's always been on. Uh, and so it's like, I've never had any doubts about, about where he would end up, uh, or where he was going. Um, great dude. I am, that is another him. My relationship with Scott, my relationship with Sarah are probably two relationships that I would like to see healed the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, and JD, I've lost track of, I don't even know where he is. Um, I hope he's, I hope he's alive and I hope he's doing well somewhere. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I hope that he has found his place in the world too. Yeah. I, I've spoken to Scott on my podcast before. He's really 
really cool, like you just said. Um, but uh, yeah, that's. I think a lot of people, when they talk about real world Brooklyn in like a retrospective type of way, they refer to it as a traditional real world season, like a throwback type season, because the genre and how it had taken a turn from like Vegas onward, it went from what it originally was, which was just like normal people from different walks of life having conversations to essentially from Vegas onward becoming like just a huge party, like drink and fight, hook up or whatever. And Brooklyn, and it also helped because you guys were sandwiched in between like Hollywood and Cancun. So that helped too. So you guys naturally kind of stuck out as like, different in an era in which the genre had become formulaic in a way like you guys were all people with your own separate kind of stories and um, backgrounds and beliefs and you had sort of a traditional throwback type of season do you think that's a fair assessment i think that's definitely a fair assessment for how it was portrayed what's interesting to me when i reflect upon it is that Every one of us in Brooklyn, we had a, there's a little bit of grittiness to us, um, right? Like we each had our own like real kind of dark shit that we had to deal with um, in our lives up to that point. Um, and I wish that that was explored a little bit more, um, right? There, there was a depth and nuance there um, for the majority of us Um that I don't think was really ever recognized or, or highlighted. And I don't know if that's just a factor of we as castmates never organically kind of uh, explored those themes when we were together initially um, or, or what. Um, but I wish that that was something that was kind of maybe um, uh, talked about uh, or, or I wish that that was something that ha was explored while we were filming, because I think that, uh, that exploration would have been very uh, revolutionary for the time. Um, rather than us just kind of being a palate cleanser between two party seasons, um, I think that there could have been really good social commentary there. Um, not only from my own personal experience, but if you think about someone like Ryan's experience, right? Um, our generation came into a 20-year war. Um, we have more combat veterans, uh, veterans in our generation than the baby boomers and Gen Xers did with Vietnam, right? There, there are a lot of us know someone who was directly involved in, in that conflict. And, um, you know, PTSD among those combat veterans is still a really prevalent issue. Um, so I think that, um, I, I think that that, that is something that I, I wish was explored a little bit deeper on our season. Um, I know some of us um, had histories and experiences with um, childhood um, trauma and, and abuse in, in certain lights. And I wish that that was something that was maybe spoken about a little bit more. Um, and when I reflect on that, I think that Brooklyn was actually a really good backdrop because Brooklyn has always been like, like a really, like the perception of always been like this grimy, gritty kind of borough among, among New York. And you had these characters that all have like this, kind of dark you know shadow in in their backstory and i think that juxtaposition was was really apropos um and i think that, that there was more there was a lot of meat left on the bone there in my season um so i think when people think back on my season they think that like okay we were traditional maybe we we're a little bit boring in comparison but um i think there was something really special about the the people that we had in that house 
Um, and I would have liked to see those stories explored a little bit more. Yeah, you mentioned earlier about some perspectives of yours that you kind of wish you had back or like did differently. What, what are some of those that uh, st- stand out when, when you say that? Um, for me, I think, uh, I think I, I could have done, um, the, the trans community specifically a, a better service in setting us up for success, uh, in, in the coming years. Um, I think I, I really could have explored my own personal themes with, uh, addressing the social constructs of, of gender and the functional roles within the, within the, the gender, um, that we create for, for ourselves and within society. Um, like the way that all of the cleaning kind of fell on, on the girls in, in the house, like it, we kind of split that, like down that, those old sexist sort of tropes. Um, despite the fact that there were four women and four men on the show, like, you know, like y'all could have done stuff around the house too. Um, and, uh, or just, you, just the perceptions of what we think other people's roles are based on, based on, um, either either their their gender or their perceived capabilities um so yeah i i think that i could have plus i'm i'm a hardcore capital l leftist right we were in the right place at the right time uh lehman brothers was was collapsing you had the housing market bubble you had a lot of relevant socioeconomic things that that were occurring that are you know setting up to to recur again within uh, our our economy um but also at society writ large so there are some narratives and concepts there that I was aware of at the time that I was filming that I could have and should have been more vocal about. Do you find that we in like a society today are a lot more accepting of the LGBTQ than maybe back then? Um, you know, uh, I think because because politics has evolved to be more culture war focused um and the lgbt community is just kind of like uh we're, we're the 556 chamber of uh, of culture war bullets right like so so you could load us into your gun and shoot us down range in either direction um and i don't think that it's has anything to do with with accept it, with acceptance necessarily I think that my life was a lot easier navigating circles in 2007, 2008 than it is now for sure. Um, my, I, my existence is far more politicized now than it ever was before. Oh. Um, so I think we've, we've regressed substantially. Um, I know that my access to care was actually a lot easier in, in 2007 and before than it is now, especially in my home state of Florida. I'm a native Floridian, and if I was 23 now and having to go through mu- everything that I went through again, it would be impossible for me today to access the care that I had in 2003, which is wild. Like, we're moving backwards. Um, so, uh, you know, there's it, there's uh, the fact that my community specifically became such like a, um, a hot button issue within the culture war politics um has certainly caused us to to backslide a little bit wow that's nutty i would have i i think like i think it's because like when i'm like compartmentalizing it i like think about sort of the television aspect rather than like society as a whole so i think like and this is just mainly talking about like reality television i think like with the way they 
portray it. They want you to believe that we've kind of moved forward as a society, but like that's more or less just like a narrative thing rather than like a reality thing. If that makes well, sense. Uh, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, we socially have a narrative that you know we are in a quote unquote post racist society, and that is categorically false, right? Like. Like we, we still haven't atoned for, for sins of, of the yesteryear. We haven't learned how to share space and navigate those tensions that have existed for hundreds of years, let alone something as relatively recently uh, as the as the, the trans um, civil rights movement. So, I mean, LGBT civil rights have, for the most part, been really stable um, for, for the past 20 years, um, although I know that those have come underneath uh, attack and, and threat in, in certain states. Um, but, uh, but yeah, if, if we, people are, are still, uh, are still struggling to, um, to work out the race dynamics, uh, let alone the LGBT stuff. So we can't, we can't even get those things right. I, I have very little hope, uh, that anytime in the short term, we'll be able to, to kind of fix things for my community. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, since we're on the topic of getting stuff right, I just have to know, what's the verdict on the New York pizza since you were out there filming Brooklyn? Like, is is, is it is it the real deal? Because I've experienced it. I mean, I know my way around the wheelhouse here, but I, ne- I need to know from somebody who's not in New York all the time, like, what what that experience was like. If, if I had to rank my pizzas, right, uh, New York pizzas is number one. It is S tier, absolutely, uh, always and forever in my heart. Um, actually, Detroit style pizza is my number two. I've been here. Um, underrated, yeah. It, it is. It is very underrated, um, and I don't say that just because I live in Michigan these days. Um, and then, uh, then yeah, and then everything else is just subpar. Like, don't even get me started on Chicago stuff. Chicago, you have hot it's dogs, and I'll pizza. give you that. It's not real pizza. It is, it is, who puts the sauce on top? You put the cheese on top, you assholes, and you serve it hot. Like, <laughs> get your gazpacho pie away from me, please and thank you. I don't want nothing to do with it. Um, you know what I've been hearing, actually, rearing its head lately in terms of, like, pizza being top-notch? I've been hearing West Haven, Connecticut has the best pizza. I've never, I can't attest to this, but... Anywhere that was a federal witness protection relocation program for the mob is going to have good pizza. Like, like, like you, know, like, you know what I mean? Any, anywhere, anywhere where Italians have fled um, to, for either personal security or for tax evasion purposes, you're going to have good pizza. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so Jersey, Jersey, Jersey pizza is really good. Jersey pizza yeah. is, is on par with, with New York, right? So same thing, Connecticut. I don't think that I would accept Rhode Island. Perhaps you get you're getting a little bit too far away from you know from home base, right? So, um, but yeah, uh, I when I lived on the West Coast, it was impossible to find a good slice. Just absolutely impossible. Um, I yeah, it, you can't you can't do it in Portland. You can't do it in Seattle. You can't do it in San Francisco. I'm sorry, your pizza's trash. Um, <laughs> it is. I got to ask lastly here, because you mentioned that, you know, you're most likely don't anticipate being invited back due to like how vocal you've been. Were were the calls coming in initially, like after your last appearance on Rivals or did they like kind of give up on you? 
No, um, so I was blacklisted actually um, because uh, I am chronically online um, and uh, I had inadvertently leaked production details. Um, I don't know why they cared about spoilers and keeping that shit secret. It did not impact anything at all, but whatever. Um, far be it from me um, to, to, you know, make those calls. Um, but no, um, from just like a... Um, you know, uh, administrative standpoint, they didn't like that. I was a liability for leaking information. Um, but also I don't think that I moved the needle on ratings, right? If I was, if I was as polarizing as a Johnny bananas or a CT, right. Where like, okay, like this person shows up, people are going to dial in to see how they interact with the rest of the house or how they, you know, pre perform. Then I think that I, I probably would have had a, a more invitations uh, extended. But the fact that, uh, I am not athletically talented, so I wasn't actually physically able to, to, to compete, but also, um, socially I, I didn't fit into one of the two clicks, right? I never found my footing. Now, if they ever do like a weird emo kid challenge, right? Where it's just a bunch of us, like, you know, weird kids from high school that get together. Sure. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm on the short list. Um, you know, but, uh, I don't, I don't foresee that. Um, honestly, the thing about the challenges that I don't like is the fact that they have 30 of these castmates together and it doesn't matter where you are in your life. They refer to you as the kids. Yeah. I don't know if you know that, but, but the, but the PA team calls you the, they call, they refer to the group as the kids like, bitch, I have two mortgages. Do not call me the uh -huh. kids. Uh, I am the boss. I am not the kids. Um, so it's, it's the condescension there that really kind of rubs me the wrong way. Um, no, I would do, I would do like a back to Brooklyn, um, season. Yeah, I think that would be really compelling. Actually Paramount plus, I mean, I, from the looks of it, it doesn't seem like they're going through with it, but they did like, or going through with any more of them. But, um, at the end of 2021 and then into early 2022, they had like churned out three, what they called real world homecomings that they had on exclusively on Paramount plus. Um, and they revisited like the um, the first two seasons of Real World, and then like they were trying to get like cosigns from like the cast, like the other cast. But then I think like f three through eight, like they couldn't get everybody on board. And then they did like a jump to nine, which was New Orleans, and then they just discontinued it. So I don't know, but yeah, that was a uh, thing for a well little. Maybe don't have it on an exclusive streaming platform that's like number seven among streaming platforms. Like not for nothing. Like like put it on the airways. Like I understand like from a again, just because I, I now live in corporate world and I, I kind of get to peek behind the curtain. I understand that they're looking for like quarterly profits. Okay, like we have these many new recurring or new subscriptions. Um, right. So therefore we were able to move the, the needle um on on our EBITDA margins by this much and so like yes we can renew it this is a sustained business line for the company um versus like cost of production right so if you think about it it probably costs them to produce i'd say close to three hundred thousand an episode when you tally in all of the pas all the post-production all of the you know general real estate purchasing and uh and all of the the um incidentals um, to, to set up the, the house and, and stuff like that. Um, plus whatever the production company is selling back to, to Viacom, um, to the parent company for per episode. So they have to be able to make up 
in recurring subscriptions or ad revenue from uh, from those episodes more than what uh, BMP is charging. Um, so I don't think that that ever played out. But again, maybe we don't make it an exclusive on the seventh ranked like streaming platform. Um, you know, so it's a lot harder to to have sustained viewership on like a show too when it's almost like it's a it's a staggered start like when the episodes are being turned because they were doing it weekly like a new episode would come out at like i don't know like midnight or something i'm not sure um when you're not having it on like a regular network at a set time each week those views are gonna kind of be like not as consistent i feel so i i would hazard a guess that the that the issue is in trying to release it episodically Right. Um, Netflix is running into this issue. Disney Plus is actually running into this issue, too, if you look at uh, Secret Invasion. Um, the episode six has got some of the lowest ratings out of any Disney Plus show. And it's not because the series isn't good. It's because there's assholes like me that are like, I'm not going to. My, my day is so fragmented and busy and my ADHD is so bad. If I start watching something, I have a limited window of attention span. Right. I need to binge. Binging is the way that I consume content, with the exception of the the handful of podcasts that I subscribe to because those are always on when I'm doing the dishes when I'm whatever something I need to physically pay attention to my screen time is limited I get those in blocks so if I can't binge I'm not watching it so you know I'm I'm more apt to watch a rerun of Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Stargate or something um, than I am to watch a new series that's going to release episodically because then I have to go back and rewatch the previous episodes because I don't understand what's going on between, you know, from one episode to the next. So I think something in a reality TV aspect like that, you're either, you have to release everything at once on a streaming platform so that people can binge. Because when they binge too, they write articles about it. Like then you get to see the full story arc at once. Then you get to actually comment on it. It drives social engagement. Mm -hmm. It drives all of these things that are really important. Um, or go back to traditional broadcasting and say, okay, we're going to release this at our normal time slot, 10 p.m. Wednesday nights, and then on the following day, it'll be on, on our streaming platforms. It'll be on our YouTube or our Vivio or, or whomever, um, you know, and simulcast it on Paramount Plus for the people that, um, that subscribe to it. Um, but otherwise, like, I, otherwise, it's a failed business model from Jump. Yeah. Well, there you go. So, for those wondering how uh, streaming works, <laughs> you heard it there first. But, uh, Caitlin, this was great. I'm glad we got to do this. Um, I yeah. definitely feel like we knocked this one out of the park in comparison to the first time around. And uh, I felt was... good about the first one, but but I understand. Well, I, I, yeah, no, I felt good about it as well. I just, I'm, I guess, mostly speaking from, like, my perspective of, like, how I feel like I conducted it. But, no, nonetheless, um, this was great. And um, we definitely touched base on some stuff maybe we didn't talk about the first time around. So thank you again for uh, your time today. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Thank you. Have a great one. Yeah, thanks. You too. Bye. Bye.